Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Champions League knockout that just keeps on giving. David Wiener with you for the Gagan Pod. On a morning, we've just witnessed another knockout comeback, this time inspired by Cristiano Ronaldo. While Manchester City tore Shuck to shreds. So much to talk about and a great panel to do so. Michael Bridges, welcome back as always. Great to be here again, Dave, and plenty to talk about, mate. Wow, now we've got you delicately poised next to the muffin buffet that we've got here on the Gagan Pod, next to a man who just cycled to Everest and back on the weekend, so I know <laughs> who's in danger with the muffins at the moment. Thomas Sorensen, how are you? I've uh, still got sore legs. Uh, you know, it was it was a tough one, but, uh, you know, again, uh, something I've been working towards and uh, good achievement. Ten hours? Under ten hours? Yeah, so it's the uh, Peaks Challenge, and, uh, yeah, I rode 235 kilometres and 4,300 uh, metres altitude in, in nine hours and 32 minutes, so I was pretty proud of it, but sore. <laughs> That's how long I'm going to have to cycle for I can finish all these muffins <laughs> off. What, goalkeeping takes a lot of mental fortitude. How does that compare to, to getting on the bike and finishing that, that last climb? Uh, it was the hardest, uh, you know, for people that don't know. You, you finish on, on an extremely steep climb for 24 kilometres. Uh, and my legs were cramping up. And um, yeah, to this minute, I don't know how I got up. But uh, yeah, it takes a bit of mental. And I was in a, in a dark place at, at a point. So, uh, but Great to overcome that. Well, light relief today on the Gagan Pop. We promise, we promise. And to do that, very, very warm welcome, John Aloisi. Great to have you here at Optus Sport for the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I didn't quite do that uh, cycle ride, but I do a cycle class on a Tuesday. <laughs> and I find that quite hard, 45 minutes. <laughs> and you end off in the same place you started, which is the hardest bit. <laughs> the music's good, though. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, as, guys, as we said, what a morning we've witnessed. Um, it's the Champions League of comebacks and we off the back of last week's drama Juventus have done it to Atletico Madrid Thomas what on earth did we witness this morning no it's just a, a legend living up to everything all the expectations huge huge burden on, on Ronaldo's shoulders brought in uh, for a huge amount of money to you know get Juventus over the line and they were up against it tonight but he uh, again uh, did his magic and scored three goals. Uh, but I think a lot of credit has to go to Allegri as well. I think he changed things up from, from the first game, uh, changed a bit of, uh, you know, changed the tactics, uh, got got the balls out wide and used Ronaldo with, with his strength in the box and, and he got the goals. So uh, you you got to give him a lot of credit, even though Ronaldo will get the headlines. How did he change it, John? What was the key to scoring three against a side that is known for its resolute and, and defence. Well, Allegri clearly changed the, the the way he built up in terms of the they built up with a back three, um, and then their wing backs pushed high, and then their their wingers ended up coming inside, and so they always had men in the box, and they were getting a lot of crosses in, and um, I thought that they they played really well, but not only to create those opportunities to score goals, but also defensively they didn't allow Atletico Madrid, um, they didn't get caught on the break at all. Um, they controlled the game from the start to the finish, and um, they deserved to win. And you know, we, we were going to talk about Ronaldo, but Bernardeschi was outstanding. You know, setting up the first.
first goal, winning the penalty uh, for the third goal. And um, I thought that uh, along with Ronaldo, they were the two best players. Well, speaking of Ronaldo, it's always good to learn something every day. Uh, Bridgie, what, what does GOAT stand for? I've got no idea, and it's really bugging me because there's a big um, there's a big debate going on on social media saying who is the better goat, and I've got no idea what it means. So can somebody give me a bit of light? Well, it's the greatest of Sean, all time. Sean, is that, <laughs> right, Sean I, I wish you'd have yeah. rusted. I thought it was Sean Goat or something. Tell us about that performance this morning. A guy whose record against Atletico Madrid is actually nasty. Well, I think, what, 25 goals now in 34 appearances or 33? It's, it's phenomenal against Atletico. He just loves playing against them. The question was asked before the game, can he do it? Because that's why Juve spent all this money. And if there's any man that is going to stand up and grab the game or, or want to be the main man, it was Ronaldo. He didn't do it in the last the last match. Um, and it really hurt him. You saw he had tears in his eyes. And when they got beat off Atletico, he didn't enjoy it. And he was out to prove a point. And I'll tell you what, Thomas says, Allegri got the tactics right, but you've still got to be able to get on the end of things. And the way he read this situation, the this we're used to seeing him score free kicks and dribbles and goals, but the aerial presence, he's not renowned for that. But I do not know how he's got the hang time and the the neck muscles to try and get that the header that he did, um, which was given by goal line technology. I was just blown away. And it just goes to show why they sign him and what he is all about. And he's thrown the gauntlet down to Messi and to see, you know, I, 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 they've got this competition. They're not in the same league anymore in La Liga, but they still manage to have this competition between the two. And I just think we are so blessed to be able to witness these two players. Yeah, but just you got to admire just a drive. You know, we, you mentioned it, Bridget, that that he had you know that famous cry after after the first leg. But again, tonight he didn't probably play a perfect game. We we, we looked at the highlights at halftime, and he had a few wild shots. And but he just keeping at it. He believes so much in himself and and in the players around him. And and just the, the timing and the and the awareness, uh, you know, the first goal, how he sort of, you know, creeps out at the back and and uh, knows he, he's in a perfect f- position uh, on a one on one and wins the header and scores. You just got to admire that uh, that drive that it keeps producing. You know, Messi as well. You know, those two. It's so hard to separate them. And that that leap with we talked about. We're thinking, was it a foul? Was it similar to last week? He had that. That leap, that vertical leap, his hands were virtually down. Uh, look, I wouldn't say they were down. He actually did nudge uh, one front in the back, but uh, it's not a foul. It's just using, you know, your your strength and your um, physical presence. And um, it was a perfect ball, and and you could just see he invited him to to jump uh, into one from. You say that uh, one from was a little bit at fault because he didn't really defend that well. I think that the second goal was more. Um, unlike Atletico Madrid, because normally they they deal with those crosses well. They didn't deal with crosses well uh, this morning, and um, and they got punished. Did you like the celebration, Bridgie? Absolutely incredible. I mean, the way he was trying to replicate or or do the same as what Simeone did, but Ronaldo took it to a whole new level. So um, I'm just hoping that he hasn't got a bigger wiener as he was um, <laughs> suggesting. He said what? <laughs> <laughs> As what he was trying to implicate. I just hope he's human. He's either average or small because he can't have everything. <laughs> no, you know what? Maybe he does. Atletico, Atletico, this looked like it might be their window. It's the Champions League where the big guns had started to fall. This must be a crushing blow for them given that the 2-0 lead, the stars were kind of aligning for them to give this a real a real lash. Definitely a, a crushing blow because when you take a two-goal advantage into a second leg, 
knowing that defensively uh, that you're very strong and um, very capable of holding that result is um, is a massive blow. But they, they, they got beaten easily. Um, it was unlike Atletico the way they played. Uh, they didn't defend that well. They allowed Juventus to uh, not only uh, get on the end of those crosses, but to actually cross the ball. They weren't getting out there quick enough to stop the crosses, and that was due to the way that Juventus set up as well. They they their game plan was perfect, and uh, they executed it well. One of the biggest teams left, but at the same time, this morning Manchester City. Uh, the, I don't know if you can make a statement against a relegation threatened Bundesliga side in Schalke, but. Um, they were mesmerising at times and at other times doing it so easy. There was, before it got to uh, 1-0 through that generous refereeing decision, there was a, it was almost walking pace. They were doing it that comfortably and then they turned it on. So what's the statement victory today? Uh, are Manchester City and Juve the two uh, teams that, that have qualified so far as we speak? Are they the two teams on a pedestal uh, as it stands? I think they're definitely... The favourites, I think probably Man City, I would say. But, uh, you know, we can't judge them on, on today because uh, Schalke were in, in disarray. I think, you know, the keeper didn't have the, the best of days. And, and they kept, you know, getting in behind. Even though they were def- Schalke was defending with, with, with a five-man line, they were still getting, you know, balls on the inside of them. Sana, uh, Aguero, Sterling, they were all getting in be- behind all the time. And it, it was way too easy for, for Man City. But, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be up against... The, a much tougher test in 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 the quarterfinals, and and we'll we'll see on Friday who the, who they get. Uh, but that, yeah, to me, they're one of the favourites for sure. It was absolutely mesmerising to watch, and it's not the first time that City have done this this season. They've done it at lower division teams in the in the League Cup. They've done it against Chelsea. I I just find it phenomenal, and it's the for for me what what I admire so much is how Pep Guardiola makes and gets the best out of these players and throws the gauntlet down to them and they react in the best possible way because a lot of teams at 2-0, 3-0, 4-0, the tight and be over, they're so ruthless. They just go and go and go and it's relentless and I, 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 I think they can, you asked if it could do the treble, I think they're still going to, sorry, the quadruple, I think they will get the treble and I do believe one of them will be the Champions League now after this. Well, Johnny, how, as a coach, how do you set up to stop that? Because the thing today was um, Shaka were digging in and then Sterling and Sane, a player who he has had to motivate and get to this level, are making these ex- exceptional runs, but they're, they're almost robotic. They do it game in, game out, and they're still succeeding with that ball that is almost a tap-in at the back post. How does anyone confront that? as they reach their pomp going forward. Well, I think Chelsea did it well in the, the cup final the, the other week. They, they defended really well, Chelsea, and um, they didn't allow them that space in behind. And, and, and they, they got uh, men behind the ball and, and they closed all the space. And when they were making forward runs, they, they, they couldn't really get in behind. And, um, and I don't think they really created that many chances against Chelsea. And Chelsea did catch them on the break a couple of times. But... Deeper into the Champions League, will teams play like that? Because you can't expect the Barcelona to play like that, or you know, uh, other teams uh, that have got those quality players. They're going to try and take the game to uh, Man City. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I still think there's a long way to go to say that Man City, you know, can win it from here or win the treble. I know Barcelona are also going for the treble. There's so much football to be played to say that you know they're on for it. I'm not buying that that messaging from Pep Guardiola that they're like teenagers in this competition. As I said this morning, that's they're the class bullies because that was nasty today. Um, now, we look forward to Thursday morning. We won't talk about it too much in case you are listening to this on your drive on Thursday or Friday or later on, but it's mouth-watering stuff. Liverpool, Bayern, Barcelona, Leon, both deadlocked at nil all. It can go either way. Uh, what's going to happen in the Liverpool-Bayern game? And uh, are we going to see more theatre and more amazing action? <laughs> 
Yeah, hopefully. Um, you know, again, uh, Liverpool haven't been great away from home in, in the Champions League uh, this year, but I think it's 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 reasonably set up. You know, obviously they're away from home and 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 Bayern are uh, you know the top team in in Germany and. Uh, it'll be tough, but they have the players uh, and the playing style. They got players that are playing well at the moment. Um, you know, it's set up to to counter attack. So yeah, for for me, uh, I still see Liverpool scoring an away goal, and I think that'll go a long way to qualifying. Even Johnny, even for Liverpool, it's relevant to tomorrow morning, but it's also relevant broader. Everyone talks about that midfield that's probably too functional, lacking that creative spark. Adam Lallana came in and and brought that press back for Liverpool on the weekend. Um, how? Can they go through and chase City down with Klopp keeping it as it is? Or do you think he needs to actually um, bring one of those more creative forces in to go through uh, on both fronts? I definitely think they can still chase City down. I think that um, they can't afford many slip-ups, so that's for sure, in the, in the, in the league uh, race. You can't say slip-up <laughs> when you're talking about Liverpool because all the Liverpool fans now are going to hate you, Johnny, because of Steven Gerrard's slip. I, I didn't actually mean you're it. Bang out, you're bang out of order. That's <laughs> I wrong. actually want Liverpool to win. <laughs> um, but in terms of uh, the game against Bayern Munich, I actually think that it's set up nicely for Liverpool because of the way that uh, they can counter very well. And uh, and we all talk about uh, Klopp's counter press. It's going to be important, you know. As soon as that they, uh, you know, they lose the ball, if they can win it straight back and then hurt them with their space and their speed up front, I think that uh, I actually think that it's set up nicely for them against uh, Bayern Munich. I, I think they will get through. The Gagan Press, of course, the namesake with the Gagan Pot. Interesting, Marmatella said his dream is to win the Champions League, but in the scheme of things, he's prepared to sacrifice that if that means that the City gets its dream of winning the Premier League. So that's an interesting balancing act there. Barcelona, quickly, we'll talk about this just in the context of the Ronaldo vs Messi battle, because how badly Messi's spoken about the special dream to bring the trophy back. Not until now, it was because of Real Madrid being the, the, the holders, um, but now there's another twist to this too, isn't there? They just love the competition between each other. He's throwing the gauntlet down, and they've got a big challenge, mind. I thought, you know, Leon have been very, very impressive so far, and Barca, yeah, they they've been performing in the Liga, but I just see Suarez has been terrible, and Messi. There's been a huge amount of. Um, <laughs> They're winning games without really performing that well. And Coutinho that, as well hasn't been. That Coutinho's been terrible. terrible. He, he got whistled on the weekend, so I'm not sure how. Confident he is so going Messi into this yet game. Again, he's doing it single-handedly, almost. You know, he hasn't been able to share the workload. And I, again, after Ronaldo's done this, he will be absolutely up for this. So I can see, I can see Messi producing and Barca going through, but it's not going to be as easy as everybody thinks. Do you think Coutinho will stay at Barca to next season? No, I don't think he will. I, I actually think that he's struggling uh, for form, and knowing at Barcelona, they won't keep hold of him much longer. I think they'll let him go, and I think that he will go back to the Premier League. Yeah, interesting. Watch this space. And one place he's been rumoured to, it won't be Chelsea because they can't buy anyone. So it'll be... Man United. That's the rumours. Mm, interesting. Tasty. Very, yeah, very tasty. tasty. It'll be good to see him back uh, in the Premier League, but l- former Liverpool player going to Man United won't be nice, will it? Yeah. Why has he, what's the Because you've spent a bit of time in Barcelona. You, you've done a bit of work there as well. What's the um, read on them being so reliant on Messi at the moment? I think the read is that um, their typical Valverde team uh, in terms of uh, not being too exciting but uh, structurally you know, well organised and they, they actually do get results without playing that well. But um, yeah, they, they all know that they, they rely on Messi. But uh, you know who has been very impressive for them, Bridgie, is uh, Piquet. 
he's actually really stepped up when they haven't been playing that well. <laughs> Sorry, I'm asking you a question <laughs> when you've got, got a mouthful of muffin. Cheers, John. <laughs> I'll put it on you. I actually but I totally that. agree. Move on. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the feedback, well, the, they, they, they know they're not playing well, but that's also a sign of a great team, a great team that can win football games. We saw the two games against Real Madrid. They weren't great, but they, they knew that um, how to win those games. And it, it's if you can do that for a, you know a, a long period and then when you come the end of the season when the titles are up, and you start to hit form then, it's uh, it makes for a good sign for them. Well, one reason they are top of La Liga is because one of their rivals has had a terrible season. And 283 days after he decided he was going to leave and take a holiday and see what he wanted to do with his life, Zinedine Zidane is back as the saviour at Real Madrid, signing a, a three-year contract too. So what a power play. He left because he said, I want my terms. And he's come back when they've come begging and knocking at his door. How big it story is this in, in, in the world of football? Massive story. I don't think he came back on his terms in terms of that he wanted certain money. I think it was that he wasn't able to get the signings he wanted and now they realise they need those signings because uh, losing Cristiano Ronaldo, they weren't able to replace him. He saw that. He knew what was happening. I think that he read uh, the script very well. He walked at the right time. He's coming back at the right time because now he, he's their saviour. Um, and they will make a power play for someone big in the off-season. It'll be interesting to see who they go get. Let's talk about Hazard. There's talk about Neymar, um, Mbappé. Who knows who they're going to get. Well, let's run through that now, actually, with a bit of... Would you rather? So let's go through that. Thomas, Gareth Bale, he's the first. When you look at winners and losers, Gareth Bale, is he going to be at Real Madrid next season? I definitely don't think so. If you look back at um, you know the, the time when Zidane was, was there last, uh, you know Bale was, was not in his plans. And, and uh, I think uh, it's been well documented that they don't get along. So I, I see... You know, I see it as a problem because who's going to take those wages on? Uh, he's, he's even there's been talks and there was talks about a loan deal back to Tottenham. I think the only way you can potentially do it uh, is that uh, Bale gives in and and they maybe do a switch with, uh, you know, Christian Eriksen maybe from Tottenham and um, you know, you know, try to get that involved and give Bale a bit of a, an incentive. But if he sticks on his wages, nobody. I, I can't see anyone in the football world. So that could potentially become a, a problem for Zidane uh, that he maybe has to smooth things over with Bale and try to get him back on side because they didn't leave on great terms. I don't think that's the only thing that's stopping this move go through. Courtois, the new goalkeeper, came out and actually said, you know, Gareth Bale doesn't get involved in nights out. Yeah, and he didn't come to the meal and... Gareth Bale hasn't really embraced the culture because they eat a lot later. They've got the siesta, and I, just, I think he's on the out of there with the manager now that is coming, like you said, Tommy, but also with the players. And when players start speaking out about other players, you know your time is limited. It's he's I think he's twelve million pounds wages, so that's a massive thing to pick up off the floor. Um, we mentioned Coutinho. The obvious out from him there would be a swap with Hazard uh, at Chelsea, but as I said, Chelsea can't actually pick anyone up because UEFA didn't allow them that uh, uh, grace period to appeal it that Barcelona got when they got banned. So, um, very interesting times there. Marcelo, Tony Cruz, guys like that. Very interested to see what happens with them. John, in terms of the you talked about the lay of the land, the politics uh, that happens at club level over there. There's stories whether you believe it or not, and and guys like Gil and Balag who are very prominent journalists over there are talking about the ultimatum Sergio Ramos gave Florentino Perez in the dressing room after their elimination. It was almost, you know, you want to get rid of me? Give me my pay. I'm, I'm, I'm walking. Um, 
what is the actual status quo and the power struggle at Real Madrid like uh, at the moment? Well, at the moment, Sergio Ramos is a very strong player uh, in terms of the power play because they know that uh, to replace him is very hard. Um, not only are you replacing his quality as a defender and as a player, he's a winner. He knows how to win. If anyone can smooth it over, Zidane. Zidane isn't only a top manager with his tactics, which he does get questioned a lot. He's a, a top man manager. He, uh, the players loved him. The only one that didn't really like him was Gareth Bale. But also, I don't know if the, the language barrier has something to do with that because it was spe- speaking about Bale that hasn't still learnt Spanish. How many years has he been there? It's pretty poor on his part. Um, Zidane, he gets the best out of Benzema. He got the best out of Cristiano Ronaldo, which is not hard to do by the looks of it. But um, he also got the best out of Sergio Ramos. And um, I think that... Um, if anyone can smooth it over, it's easy done. Well, I think Sergio Ramos basically said, you want to bring Mourinho back? Well, see you later. I'm not doing that. Um, but this is putting a bit on the chopping block here because he could have walked away with those three Champions Leagues or four Champions Leagues and been a hero. He's saying, I'm going to rebuild now. He's got to perform in the league to prove his credentials as a coach, doesn't he? Not straight away, doesn't he? He's got next season. And like Johnny says, going to have a transfer kitty. Got to get somebody big in the summer, if not one, two or three and get rid of some of the, the, the Klingons, as I would call them, have a little bit of a clean-out, and I think he will do that, and we'll see Real Madrid challenging again. I, I think it's a, a brilliant move. He's a smart man. He's got the trophies, but I'll tell you what, he, his timing's impeccable. How you can go away and come back, it's just brilliant. Yeah, I don't think he's too worried about um, you know walking away when I've won the trophies. He mentioned uh, in his press conference that um, you know if I was worried about the past, I, w- I would have just stayed away. I'm worried about now and the future. And, um, and I'm here to win, and he, and he wants to win, and what better club to do it? You know, he, he could have gone anywhere, but he's a Real Madrid person, he was a player there, he knows the club inside out, he's obviously got the backing of the president, the president loves him. Is his son still there? Uh, yeah, I'm I think not 100% so. I'm still, sure. I think so, but, yeah. uh, I'm At least sure. one of them is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other one that's really interesting, probably if Gareth Bale's the biggest loser, maybe Isco's the biggest winner, a player who Santiago Solari just, didn't want to give any minutes to, but um, what a talent and someone that surely Asensio's Vasquez, Zisco, uh, Gareth, um, Zizou can get the best out of. Yeah, there's a, the whole young generation, uh, and and some of them have, have been a little bit forgotten of, of late, and and I think that's another another player where Bale could be a loser, as you say, he, he could be a winner because he 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 did play really well under Sudan and and broke through uh, under him, so he he'll have the backing straight away, and and as a player. A lot of it has to do with, with confidence. You know, if you know that the manager believes in what you're doing, and you know you you you, you got it. You know, he, he's got your back. You know, it, it it's something you take onto the pitch, and 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 you can see players. You know, with change of managers, some some players go up and some players go down, and it, it's a it's a it's a strange dynamic. But he, he he's definitely going to benefit from uh, from the change. Rightio, then give us an answer, Bridgie. Um, right now, Arsenal are. Magnificent at home. Since December, they have had an absolute... The results have been fantastic. Uh, Unai Emery has taken them to a new level, I believe, and given them... I mean, I think they're 18 points better off than they were last season. Yeah, well, 25%, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah, it's phenomenal. So, yes, there's been a change, but still, yet again, you get some dodgy results, you get some big results, but I can see the change in the style of play. I can see the belief in the players there, and I just believe at home they are the best team at this moment in time with a home record. Yeah, and I think um, massive symbolic result to get 
Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's first loss on the weekend. I don't think United fans will read too much into that. Off the back of the PSG heroics, you're going to lose a game. I said United would win that one away um, because of the run of form, the results that they were getting. But when they went <laughs> when they went there against Arsenal at home, it all fell apart. And yeah, they were lucky, but you you make your own luck. And um, I hate to say that when I'm a Spurs fan, but very, very good. They've been outstanding. Yeah, the criticism that he hasn't taken them on from Wenger, that's stiff, surely. It is stiff. I, I think they're improving. I think Arsenal, were, they should make the top four. And uh, they're still in the Europa League. I know they got a tough tie uh, come Thursday night, Friday morning here. But um, I think at home they'll they'll get the result and they'll get through. I think they still can win something. So, look, I think he's doing a good job. You have to give him time because they, they came from so far back last year. They, they weren't good. You need to bring confidence to these players. You're trying to change a little bit of their style and the way you play. Um, he's still learning the league. Um, I, I think that he's doing a good job. Yeah, interesting to see what happens there. Um, the Premier League's most improved player is Raheem Sterling. I think um, you know he. Um, you know if, when you look at where he, where he's come from. You know he he was criticised last year. There's been talks of racism, uh, and then on the way in here, we were listening to talk sports, and we had. To, you know, where people call in after tonight's game and, and everyone was talking about maybe Ballon d'Or. Maybe that's a little bit far-fetched. But a little bit exciting early on there <laughs> yeah. for the Ballon d'Or, I believe. Is yeah, it it's very, very early in the year for, for, for that. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But uh, it just shows where he's come from and, and, and how he's playing at the moment. It's it's unbelievable, the the, the confidence you can see from him and, and just the, the characteral strength that he's, you know, from all the abuse, mm. you know, with the England team. I remember the Euros, even the World Cup, he, wasn't great. Uh, yeah, he, he's a great team player, but he didn't score. As, but now uh, top form and one of uh, Man City's best players for a long time. Also, the social element of it too. I recommend if anyone hasn't read it, there's a New York Times article out at the moment, which is a massive uh, back page feature on him talking about uh, what he wants to do for his community um, and what he wants to do to inspire the next generation and change perceptions for people who might not have broken through like he did. So I highly recommend it. If you give that a, a Google, it is well worth the read. Claudio Ranieri's one-week unemployment is strange. <laughs> Very strange. It, it, it's incredible how many clubs he's been at. Um, I wouldn't say that, uh, obviously, he's got a lot of experience. Roma need to make Champions League. Um, is Ranieri the one to do it? Got off to a good start, 1-2-1 on the weekend against Empoli. Um, but only one week out of work. I wish I could do that. <laughs> John, how can you go from a relegated team in Fulham and you don't do a job and you, you, you've you got a chance of Champions League football with Roma? I just don't get it. I, and we need his agent. No, because you, <laughs> because you won the, the championship with Leicester. I think, you know, the, you know those... You know those successes will always. Same as a player, if you've if you've done it at some point in your career, there's always people that are willing to take a chance. And he's already been at Roma. I think uh, in the past they know what he's like. 
you know, they're, they're willing to take a gamble. He's got the experience. Uh, but I'm, yeah, again, I'm a little bit with you, John. One week. Uh, yeah. it's, it's Look, it's, um, Francesco Totti came out and said, we need someone at this moment that knows the club, knows the players, knows the environment of Rome. And um, he's from there. He coached he's there. He's a hero there. Yeah, he's a hero there. Mm. So I, I think that that's what they're trying to do. They just want to make Champions League. Will he be long-term? I don't think so. I think that um, he will be short-term. Totti was talking about himself. <laughs> he was after the job himself. <laughs> Probably. Well, the Tinker Man becomes very much the journeyman. Speaking of Totti, one of his teammates, Fabio Cannavaro, replacing Marcello Lippi as China boss, is... <laughs> uh, greedy. <laughs> <laughs> I presume he's getting reasonably paid. Yeah, but he was getting reasonably paid at uh, Evergrande. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, I, d- I don't know if you got any sort of ambition why, you know, he's obviously a, he was a top player, won, won the World Cup with Italy. Um, you know, if you have any ambition as a manager, he's a still a reasonably young manager. Why, why you would take that job? I can understand Lippi. You know, go for a payday late in your in your managerial career, but but Cannavaro, he should be coaching in Italy. You know, with that sort of stature that he has, you know, that that the role model that everyone would look up. He should be there. He should be in the Serie A coaching, not not in China, for my liking. Only thing I can think of is that uh, this is a sleeping giant. I guess the world of football wants to see wake up, and if he's the man at the steering wheel, he'll have left uh, a f- one hell of a legacy for the world of football. I, I not in his lifetime. I don't think. It's not a sleeping giant, it's just a, a sleeping snore fest because they're dreaming. <laughs> There's no chance they're going to win the World Cup. So it's, yeah. No, but um, he took over uh, Lippi at club level and ended up um, doing a good job. And so he probably sees that Lippi's laid the foundations for him and he'll be able to take it to another level. What level we're, we're talking about, they have to qualify for the World Cup. And that's what they'll they'll be trying to do. And and I, but I do agree with you. I think that um, I think that eventually he will have to go back to Italy or somewhere like that to actually because money's one thing, but you uh, you have to have ambition as a player and as a coach. You can't just do it and think oh, I'm smoking cigars. I'm earning this much money. It, it's you know what I want to compete against the best and with the best. And to do that, he has to go back to Europe. Interesting. Well, another man who has got a job, Alan Stajic. To Central Coast Mariners is is that me? <laughs> Good luck, stage. <laughs> uh, look, it's. Uh, I think for stage, I think he was wants to prove that he can coach in the men's game. I think that's the reason why he's taking the job. I, I think that you know they can't go any lower than they are. I think that there's um, issues at the moment. Um, I think they're clear to see. I think that uh, we see the issues on the pitch, but there's obviously a lot of issues going on behind closed doors. And it's been like that for a few years now. And if the Mariners want to take the A-League serious, they need to sort out those issues because you, you can't every season finish last and think that's acceptable. You know, how much the club really want to perform on the pitch. Now, to perform on the pitch... So he's going to be left in this short space of time. He's there. They, they don't worry about the results. They're saying that they don't care about the results. They want to improve the culture and bring the club back together. Yeah, but how do you know that you're doing that? Are you doing it and also getting results? Or are you just doing it that they know that the, the, the culture is good? You know who who's they? Is that the club themselves that are deciding that the, the you know they got a good culture? Um, I, I think that um, Stage has got a short space of time to to prove that he can coach at this level in terms of men's game. We know that he's a good coach. I think he will. 
I think he will prove that he's he's capable, and I think that he'll he'll stay on for next season. John, we've had Paul Ocon on the show. He's a favourite of the Gagan Pied. He's uh, had to put up with similar issues. You've obviously got a wall of experience at this level. What are what are the challenges? Does this sum up the challenges that Australian, the wealth of knowledge that we have in Australian football, like yourself and Paul, um, have to put up with or cope with to achieve at this level? Yeah, I look, I don't want to talk about personal experiences in terms of where I've been or where I've coached. I can only talk from afar about the Mariners, but um, you also hear stories and you hear that um, you know they're just making the salary cap. Um, and 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 I sort of know exactly what uh, other clubs are spending. So if you're talking about that, a, a club that's in the top three are spending double, it's very unfair. It's it, it, it we we say it's a salary cap league. It's it's not. It's not even then. Um, and uh, the only ones that can actually help with that are the owners of, of the clubs. And um, or you say, well, no, we're not. We don't want to spend this much money. We're here to produce young players, and that's only going to happen if they become if there's going to be a transfer system, which they are talking about. Um, but the difficulties off the pitch, you need to improve you, as a club. Now, Mariners have been around uh, since the, the start of the A League, so surely they would have improved as a club. Um, not only culture-wise, but uh, financially. The um, facilities as well. The facilities yeah. and, and, you know, just everything in general. And uh, we want to be, um, you know, we, we talk about the Premier League, we talk about La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga. Yeah, we're trying to compete with them, but we're really competing in Asia. Now, we have to try and compete in Asia by um, emulating what the, the Japanese have done, the, the J-League, the K-League, and to, to have that sort of professional environment, spend uh, not the same amount of money on players, but if we want to compete in Asia, we have to. We, we, we can't just uh, rely on, you know, that, that we've got uh, good coaches, a, a bit of quality, and then we're going to go uh, win the Asian Champions League. We're far off. We're, we're way off of competing with them. It's so interesting what you said about the Mariners finding their role if they want it to be as a developing club because they've probably got the biggest roll call of talent that have graduated from there onto the Socceroos since the A-League started all the way from Millie Ednak as a captain to Sainsbury, Matty Ryan and the list goes on and they've got that centre of excellence up there that they've built they need to get it right because they're an important component. You can't carry anyone. We can't afford to carry on. And they've shown, done right, they can do it. Yeah, but at the moment, it doesn't make sense to say oh, we're a club to produce players because at the end of the day, you have to sell them overseas. You could lose a player that's on $60,000, uh, for instance, uh, down the road to someone like Sydney FC and, and they pay him $100,000 and you get very little for it or nothing for it because there's no transfer system. So it... it, it there's no reason for the Mariners to say we're producing players. That will only come in when the transfer system comes in. Then you say, okay, this is how we're going to actually financially um, you know, support our club. And benefit from and it. And benefit from it. At the moment, they're not benefiting, benefiting yeah. at all. Yeah, I think you can see that the business model doesn't exist. You know, It's not like you can say, okay, we're going to pump in some money in the youth system produce some players, give them experience, and then sell them on, and, and we'll make a profit and... It, it makes sense then, but here it's sort of, why should we invest if we there's no return? You know, it doesn't make any any sense at the moment. He said what? Moving back to the Premier League and one club that also probably spends a bit unders, here's Mauricio Pochettino's response after the weekend as their title run slipped back into the top four pursuit, which has been slipping back into a race with Chelsea, Arsenal and Manchester United. We need to, to, to be careful how we assess ourselves and of course, 
it's so important to live in the reality, not too much. I think we, in the last few years we were living more in the, in the perception than the reality. And now today is the reality. The reality is two-faced, different face, and I think it's the key. To be consistent, you need time. You need time to be... In, or maybe we need to understand that maybe, okay, it's our limit to be, to be there. And, and of course, if that is our limit, we need to make some decision in the future. What exactly is Poch getting at there? <laughs> I think he's, he's aiming for a bigger transfer budget. <laughs> I think he's talking a little bit in between the lines of uh, if if we need to, or if we want to compete against uh, likes of Man City, obviously now Chelsea can't uh, sign any players, but you know they didn't spend before the season really anything. Um, and uh, I think it's the, just a realisation that they have to if they want to be at the top. Uh, and that final step... You need those players, and 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 he, I think he he's aware now that they don't have them. You can see now fatigue setting in from the boys from the World Cup. He, the job that he has done has been nothing short of sensational. When you have not signed anybody, it doesn't keep the players on their toes. They're not looking over the shoulder to see what players are coming in their positions. Uh, I said this from the start, and I think he, he's done marvelous, and he's recognised that now. He wished he could have signed players in January just to give that extra surge in, in depth in squad. You know, Tottenham lost players and brought nobody in. That is not a that is not a title contending team. Yes, they've got the stadium. Finally, we might see a game there. You know what I mean? I'm absolutely. I thought it was going to be after the um, 2022 World Cup um, <laughs> that they were going to get to the new stadium. But what he's done is brilliant. He's either begging for the hand of the transfer market. Or he's using this as leverage to get away. And I'm delighted Zidane signed for Real Madrid because I really thought Pochettino might have been in for that job next season. Um, and I'm just hoping Oni Gullo Solskjaer signs his contract at Manchester United so Posh doesn't go there neither. Well, the timing of actually asking for funds is interesting because all of a sudden that coaching carousel where he had all the bargaining power, now Zizzle, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, talk that Allegri is going to stay around at Juventus. Um He's at Spurs, so he needs the funds to actually go on and kick on. So it's a, that's a very, very interesting timing of that statement. Here's a comment from an interview we did at Optus Sport this week with a 15-year-old Australian. His name's Alexander Robertson. His, his father, Mark, and his grandfather, Alex Senior, both played for the Socceroos. And Alexander is about to pen a four-year deal with Manchester City. The thing is, with the Under-17 World Cup ahead, there are four countries chasing his international allegiance. I'm going to get to the point where I have to make a decision, where I have to think about who I'm going to play for. There's a different gut feeling to every country. Australia, I've lived here, I'm from here. Um, Scotland, I was born there, my grandparents were born there. Peru, my mum, my grandma, um, my great-grandma, her side of the family's Peruvian. England, they've taken me in as a country, but it's just different for every country. There's different aspects to look at it um, and different gut feelings, but obviously, like I said, just make the decision when I get there. Jeez, nice headache to have. <laughs> what, 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 are you, what are you advising a young fella with, with not only uh, stars in his eyes, he's got to still prove himself, but such an interesting call to make. It is an interesting call, but I, I think that you can represent at under-17, under-20 level yep. and then change your mind when you get to senior level. So he's got a little bit of time on his side. I, I think at the moment what's important for Alexander is to actually keep on developing as a player and uh, and making it look... We, we know that there's rave reviews about him, that um, City uh, see him as one of their stars for the future and he just needs to keep on developing. But, um, yeah, it, it is interesting. I, I would love to see him play for Australia. I would love to. Be, he, he's, you know, obviously grew up here. Um, he, I played uh, alongside his dad for the national team, and so it would be nice to see Alexander play for Australia. I'm hoping 
after listening to Jason Wilcox, who was the TD, and having a chat with him from Manchester City, I'm hoping this lad chooses England because he is meant to be phenomenal. They rate him so, so highly. highly. 15 years old, poached by oh. Manchester City after watching him play against them for Manchester United, managed by Michael Owen. So the stories are aligned. It is the most phenomenal uh, first three paragraphs or story you could ever want to write in Australian football. When you hear a technical director and an ex-player talk about somebody, they don't like to give too much away because you want to keep the you know these diamonds. And Jason was just chatting for about fifteen minutes talking about this lad. It's absolutely brilliant. So I'm hoping he chooses England. He has played. He has got had trained at St George's, and and he was raving about that experience. So let's hope it doesn't rub, rub off on him too much. Hopefully, his dad at Heffron Park in Maroubra with us the other day really convinces him which way to go. Thomas Tuchel, after swallowing Paris Saint-Germain's defeat last week, said just days after the match, many of the players wanted the season to be over and to go on holidays for a bit. Well, that's not an option. And Kylian Mbappe said, I have not slept since the loss. Do you guys remember a game in your career? What was the toughest loss that you had to swallow during your career that, that had you up at night tossing and turning? You know, there's probably been plenty, I think. <laughs> Uh, you know, either either the result or you know a, a personal mistake or something. You know that that's just the the the, the luck of of being uh, at, you know at, at a professional level, and and you can totally get what where PSGs come from because there's no challenge in in the French league. They more or less won that, uh, so so everything was riding like Juventus today. Everything was riding on that Champions League. They were in a in the driving seat, and they. Yeah, they threw it all away, and that's that's so hard to swallow because now they feel we have to start all over again next year, uh, and the pressure just builds year year to year to year, and and the amount of money they are spending, and like we talked about, Real Madrid will be knocking on the door maybe for Mbappe or Neymar, so so they'll have to keep these players happy as well. You know, they they're not going to stay because they want to win things. Tommy always used to not be able to sleep the night before training when we were doing shooting practice. Me and Kevin Phillips at Sunderland, he used to panic thinking, oh, I've got to face these two the next day. Yeah, but then the day after, I slept really well because I had a good day. (laughs) Just on that, I heard you uh, when Ronaldo was lining up his free kick this morning in the coverage talking about uh, lining up when he was about to strike on you. Can you talk us through that experience trying to pick a Ronaldo free kick? Yeah, no, he actually uh, he scored he scored two against me, and um, yeah, I think it's something that he was really really good at earlier in his career. It, it made him, uh, you know, what the player he is, and, and and gave him a lot of attention. I think he's sort of rounded his game off a little bit, and you don't see him score that many. He scored a brilliant one at the World Cup, but it's it's not as prolific as it probably was, and and it is tough because he, you know, he's one of the the, the first players that really developed that. Uh, the way of striking the ball, uh, sort of a knuckle strike, and, you know, get that swerve movement. And it was something, uh, when I first faced it, uh, when he was at Man United, it's something I'd never seen before. And it took me totally by surprise. Before I even blinked, it was past me in the top corner. And uh, it, it was unique. I think a lot of players since then has, has tried to replicate it. And, uh, and he's probably spent more time on other things that it's not as as good anymore but yeah and no, as a goalkeeper it's horrific to be on the line because you know you got only a split second to react oh here's a good yarn this isn't a good yarn but it is a story nonetheless it's actually been a massive story in the uk it was jack Grealish and the skirmish he had in the villa birmingham double you know that's a massive rivalry but you can't spill over the fence, which is exactly what happened when a fan uh, attacked him. And he's been jailed. Um, but there was also a video of a steward laying into Grealish as well after he celebrated a goal. So these are these are horrendous scenes. Um, f- first of all, your reaction to the punishment, which is obviously good to lay down a marker. But then also uh, just an anecdote on the most ferocious, intense uh, 
experiences you had in your career with crowds and whatnot? I just think it's absolutely disgusting. I'm delighted that this guy has been punished. Uh, he's, it, it's, I find it hard when teams themselves get punished, either points, deductions, or they get fines for a mindless idiot because it is, it's not about the club. They, there's only so much they can control. So I'm delighted that he, he has been punished because he could have had anything. Do you remember Monica Sellers, the tennis player? There was, could have, you know, when you're getting punched like that, or he could have had a weapon on I just think it's an absolute disgrace. Yes, it's a derby match and, you know, fans get passionate, but this was just one idiot trying to show off to his friends and I'm delighted that he has been punished with a, with a sentence like this. Now, I, nothing like this ever happened to me when I was playing Dave, but in a rivalry between Sunderland and Newcastle, I lived in Newcastle, a place called Whitley Bay in North Shields, and there's the river that divides us. Um, between Sun and Newcastle, and I never had any any grief because I was brought up being a Newcastle fan, and, and then followed Chris Waddle to become a Tottenham Hotspur fan. The problem that I had is when I went to sign for Sunland, and I was training over there, and I was still living with my parents, and my father got his car windscreen, his side windows, and his tyres slashed, and everything was smashed, and basically on the the garage was written off, bleep off, you don't belong here anymore. So I moved out, moved into a hostel, and that was the hardest thing for. For me to deal with personally from a rivalry fan base because it, 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 it impacted the family and that was tough. But I've never been punched like that, thankfully. Um, and I'm just delighted that it's been sanctioned really well. Yeah, but I've actually played in, uh, you know, I played for Villa for, for five years and, and in a few a few of these derbies. And there, there's a little bit of bad blood there. there there's a history of uh, violence, um, you know, fans, uh, riots uh, in the stadiums and, and huge police. Um, so it's probably you know Sunderland uh, and Newcastle again well, riots in the cities. Yeah, so so th- there are uh, these old school uh, and they still exist, and and this just brings the bad out in some people. You know, thank God, ninety nine percent and even more uh, behave and go and 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 create a fantastic atmosphere. But uh, like Bridget said, it's it's so hard to then you know for for these idiots. Um, you know how can you control it? You know that, that then you need to build a wall or you need to have a fence, and but that's not what we want. We want that accessibility and and the fans to be close to the action, uh, and, and you know these these people are ruining it for everyone. The reason I'm talking about ruining when they're doing this and punching, you also get it's it's hard. You also get some children that have run the pitch in the past just to get a hug or adults to get a hug of their favorite player and Ronaldo and Messi. Again, that's I can't, a really good point. I cannot really condone point, it. Yeah. That, that's still got to be sanctioned and punished because it, it's a. It, it, it's not right because, again, that's kind of... I know the players have got to grab them and give them a cuddle or give them a shirt because you don't want to push young kids away or adults that are just trying to hug you. It still shouldn't happen because it's encouraging others to do it. Yeah, you actually wonder that because the players get ha- hailed for... or they put their arm around the kid, they've taken the selfie. But you talk about Monica Sellis' moment. I mean, that's what a lot of the Villa players have said as well in, in, in the aftermath is we're very lucky that he didn't have anything yeah. anything on him. But any Any... Memories or, or, or fear scenarios? I guess the, the Uruguay one is the one that springs to mind for, for, for us. Yeah, I can still uh, recall uh, Paolo, Paul Ocon, actually ducking and diving when we're walking <laughs> off the bus because he was scared that the Uruguayans were going to beat us up. Um, but uh, there, was a, there was a bit of hostility when we arrived in uh, Montevideo, but um, there was nothing uh, you know, that we were in danger of any sort. But um, no, the, the only time that I can recall was when I uh, was playing for Osasuna. We arrived at Atletico Madrid Stadium. And um, they threw a rock at our bus and then it smashed uh, the window right next to me. And that was the loudest bang that I can uh, recall. And, you know, a scary moment. And then you, you actually think, you know, you know what's going to happen in the stadium? But nothing in the stadium it was uh, actually um, well tamed. 
Except for Simeone standing there doing <laughs> doing these ones too. Bridget, quickly on the Sunderland aspect, because I've got another side of that story. There was a, a really lovely one this week, an 87-year-old Sunderland fan. He was at a pub and couldn't figure out how to buy an online ticket uh, to uh, the big cup game at Wembley. So a couple of fans around him at the pub cobbled together, showed him how to do it, bought it. Naturally, that kind of goodwill story goes online. Um, but you, you touched on the passion of the Sunderland fans. But can you tell us just about how it consumes the city? It, it just defines almost you know what, how they live and breathe. The whole football club uh, regarding Sunderland and also Newcastle area, there's no other real teams to support up there. It's one or the other. And people just basically work to earn a few quid so that they can pay to go to the stadium as long as they enjoy the chairman. The sort was short, they turned their back on it, and it was, you know, the, the documentary, Sun Until I Die, is a, is a magnificent way to show how much that um, city embraces the football club, and it's just a shame where they are, but they're, they're bouncing back. When you've got a team in um, Division Division 1, you're getting a full house. That, that just shows what it typifies what Sunland area is all about, and I'm just blessed and delighted that me and Thomas had the honour to actually wear the jersey and represent them, that region. Yeah, and I think for me, it, it hit home when, when we played. We played a derby uh, at St. James's Park and we ended up winning and I, I saved a penalty late on from, from Alan Shearer. And, and for people that don't, at that time, you know, he, he was sort of embodied Newcastle. He was the en- you know, enemy. Everyone at Sunderland hated Shearer. And, and we came back after we took the coach from the stadium back to the hotel and a few of, few of the, 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 the boys went over to, to a pub and, and had a drink like we did back then. Uh, uh, and uh, as I was walking out, uh, the guy that owned it came running out and said that oh, I've just had this. This guy asked me if if he could buy the chair that had been sat in uh, for, for a thousand a thousand pounds. <laughs> I was, uh, but that just just shows you know how much you know it means to the people up there. You know that that could you know for the whole year if if we won that game. You know that would. You know that would whatever if they were gonna eat porridge for 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 six months, it didn't really matter as long as we beat Newcastle and and, and you know that day definitely hit home for me how much it meant to to these uh, fans. Do Brilliant you know, stuff. Do you know if you ever bought it? I, I don't know, but <laughs> it shocked me. I walked away shocked. <laughs> Gents, it's a race pass again, but I love hearing these anecdotes from your career, and it's great to have you guys in here sharing that with us and all the listeners. Johnny, thanks for popping in for the first time. Thanks for having me. And Bridgie, Thomas, thanks again. We're going to do it all again tomorrow morning uh, for the big ones. Liverpool at Bayern Munich, Barcelona versus Lyon. Friday, the Europa League, the barn dance, and we've started to call it at Optus Sport with the Arsenal-Ren game, 3-1 down. That is, of course, live stream on Twitter as we continue to break new ground on social media here at Optus Sport. And the Premier League is mixed uh, this weekend. There's a few postponed games because there's FA Cup action as well. But I suppose the climax of that is early Monday morning with Fulham hosting Liverpool and Everton hosting Chelsea. A few tasty games there for teams who need to continue to pick up points. Gents, have a great day. Have a great week. And to everyone out there, as always, enjoy your football.